Amen. That song obviously is based on um, a, a verse of scripture in Psalms, one of my favorite Psalms. And, you know, in studying the Ten Commandments, um, you know, we're focusing in on these ten. There's a lot of commandments in scripture, and it's been said that the command to not be afraid is repeated more in scripture than just about every commandment, admonition, whatever you want to call it, uh, than any other commandment. So I love that song. Thank you. Thank you guys for that. Really excited to continue what we've been talking about in the Ten Commandments. This is our third week, but we're going to be looking at the second commandment about carved images. Last week, we looked at the first commandment that God gave to his people, that he spoke it from the mountain, gave it to them directly, and he said, you shall not have any other gods before me, or really besides me. And so we talked about supremacy. That's basically what God requests of us, that he wants to be the biggest, most important thing in our life. He wants us to think about him more, love him more. He wants to be bigger than anything else in our life. He wants to be supreme. To use New Testament language, he wants to be Lord. I mean, after all, that's what we committed to. Whenever we prayed to receive Christ Jesus as Savior, we also proclaimed him as Lord of our life. That is the first commandment. I don't know about you, but I feel like I am at constant war to obey that command. I feel as if there is a barrage of competing uh, lords with a little L in this culture and in this world that are constantly coming for the affection of my heart. It's everywhere around us. Idolatry might not be the same as it was in the ancient world, but there are still idols that are coming after us that want to compete for our heart. And that's what I want to talk to you about uh, what I want to talk to you about today. We're going to look at the second commandment about carved images. And this, uh, this sermon is really about idolatry and about how we're supposed to turn away from idolatry. And I, I, I said last week that last week was the first sermon of a two-part series. That's because when I read the first commandment and when I read the second commandment, they almost kind of bleed together. It's, it's hard to tell where the first commandment ends and, uh, and, and the second commandment begins. But this idea of not having any other gods uh, b- before him and then this, this, this idea of not having a graven image, they kind of go together. I want to start by saying that the root of every sin is idolatry. A few moments ago, I asked you to pray and consider the fact and praise the Lord for the fact that He has pardoned us for our sins. All of us come to church with things on our mind, maybe things that we have done that we shouldn't have done or things that we're currently doing that we shouldn't do. All of us have sinned. I mean, the Bible says that. We know that no one is perfect. At the root of every single sin is idolatry. The only thing that idolatry is, you don't have to have a statue in your living room and bow down and pray to it in order to be an idolater. An idol is simply anything that we use that displaces God in our life. Anything that displaces God, His truth, His ways, His commands, and replaces it with something else of our choosing, our own way, our own truth, uh, that is idolatry. And the way that we commit idolatry is really in two ways. We acknowledge something as supreme or something becomes more supreme in our life, 
or uh, to the point of the second commandment that we're going to look at today, uh, we set up some sort, of gr- some sort of graven image or carved image that represents God, and we begin to bow down to it. And so let's look and see what the Bible says about the second commandment today in Exodus chapter 20. I'll ask you to stand with me, if you don't mind, as we look at these verses. And uh, if you'll notice, towards the end of verse 5 and also in verse 6, I really see kind of some, there's like some extra commentary that's attached to this second commandment. The only time that we really, other time in the Ten Commandments that we find that has to do with the Sabbath on the Lord's Day. Um, but we see a little bit, a little bit extra in this commentary, uh, of, I, I just call it a little extra commentary, after this commandment that I believe that relates to the first Two commandments. So let's read it. Let's read them together. Uh, verse three was last week. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse four. What we're going to look at this week. Verse four. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or is in the water under the earth. And here's what the Bible says: You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that today that you would just give us wisdom in your word. Lord, I doubt that many of us have carved images of metal or stone that are sitting on a shelf that we acknowledge as a God. But Lord, we know that we know that we have idols. Lord, help us today to deal with those things in our life, those things that compete for the affection of our hearts. Lord, we want to love you and serve you only. And so, Lord, speak through your word today uh, from your law, and we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, a carved image. Don't worship a carved image. Like I said before, I doubt that many of you have statues that you pray to in your homes. Uh, However, we know that in ancient times, this was definitely the case. And even in modern times, in other countries, uh, we do see this this practice. It literally practiced where people will carve or fashion or will shape things. and They will begin to worship them as God. A carved image really just represents something that you and I both know is not worthy of worship. And historically, mankind, for some reason, has loved to do this. All throughout the history of man, we see that mankind wants to find an image that represents something in the sky, something on the earth, something in the sea, that somehow taps into power or some type of benefit that they want for themselves. And here's here's kind of what the Lord revealed to me this week, is that an idol really is nothing but a mediator. It's as if these carved images that mankind historically and even in modern times has set up and worshipped, it's it's as if it's supposed to mediate something for them. There's some type of benefit that they want from that. 
Uh, we know that even in places today, such as India, um, uh, take a, get on an airplane and take a trip to India or some other, uh, other countries, and you'll, you'll find statues and idols and, and different things that you can go into the store and you can buy them, and they're meant for you to take home and utilize in worship. Uh, we know that this was the case with Israel whenever they received the Ten Commandments. They had come out of Egypt, and Egypt had many ancient gods, uh, images that they worshipped. Uh, I told you, I, I think I've told you this story before, but uh, my family and I, we went to Egypt on a vacation a couple of years ago, a few years ago, and uh, the images of false gods are everywhere. And I wanted to buy something as a souvenir that I could take back and put it in my office, but I really had a hard time doing that because everything had some sort of graven image on it. Well, I saw in this one store there was a, a genie lamp. Okay, now I know that that's not very Christian, but you know, genie lamp, you know, you rub it and it pops out, genie pops out, three wishes. I mean, we all grew up watching the cartoons, right? I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And it had a whole bunch of art and things on it. And so I got it back and then I noticed that it had a picture of the sun god that they worship on. And I was like, oh, man, I can't put this in my office. So I have it kind of hidden around where if you come into my office, you can't really see it, you know, because I don't want to violate the second, the second commandment. I don't really think I'm, you know, worshiping a false god. Um, these things were common in Egypt. And the people of Israel at the time of the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, they had, they had come out of this. I mean, images everywhere that were worshipped. It was just in the culture. It was all over the known world. The, places, the place that they were going to be going, the promised land, the land of Canaan, was full of idols, of Canaanite gods like Baal, which was one that they worshipped. Uh, we see this everywhere. Now, most of us, if you probably are sitting there thinking in your mind, I mean, I, I've never done this. I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, buy an idol and pray to it and worship it. We probably think that, well, we're not as primitive as ancient peoples that we would think some type of statue would mediate between us and God or, or mediate between us and some power in the sky or on earth or in the sea. And my response to that would be, you're exactly correct. We have become very sophisticated, and we have become very polished, and we have become very subtle in our idol worship. Here's some potential idols that I showed you from last week. Um, I, I showed you this slide last week, but here's some, here's some potential idols that I have for the screen for you, um, or I can call them out to you. Uh, so things like sports, or hobbies, or, or food. Um, you know, sex and beauty, money, success. I mean, all of these things. As I look at our culture, and as I also look within the body of Christ, not just our church, but all church, just within, within Christianity in general, we see these things as things that somehow mediate a benefit or a lifestyle or a situation or a circumstance that we think will fulfill our heart. We do this with all sorts of things. Not just with these things, but with all, all sorts of things. There's, there's all sorts of things that we find out there in the world that we, we see on TV or we somehow think, man, if I could just get that, those things could mediate for me a something, something that, would, that would really fulfill my heart. 
And this type of idolatry is everywhere in our world. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you found yourself going after some of these things or other things that, that are not listed that held a promise of fulfillment for you, something that you thought would just really, really make you happy. And maybe it did temporarily, but you, but you found that it became so big in your life and it didn't really bring you that long-term, it really didn't mediate for you that long-term satisfaction that you hoped that it would. So, so, how, so how do we follow this second commandment about graven images? I think the first one is pretty obvious. I'm going to give you three. The first one is very obvious, is that we acknowledge that Jesus is the perfect image of God. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only one that can mediate for us a true benefit that would satisfy our hearts. No idol can mediate that for us. No idol can bring to us the benefit that only God can give. And there is no image that could somehow make us feel close to the one true God other than Christ. God did not give us the perfect image of himself through stone or through brick or through painting or through art. He gave it to us in flesh. He sent his one and only son into the world to be a perfect mediator between us and God and the perfect image of God. Look at these passages in 2 Corinthians 4, Colossians 1, and Hebrews chapter 3. These tell us that he, that he, Jesus, was the image of God. He was the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God. This is why we don't make images that represent God, because God has already given us the perfect image in His Son. We don't build things or carve things or construct things or invent things that we say, okay, this, this thing that we have crafted will mediate for us or will represent God so that we can understand what he is like. This is why we don't have Jesus on a cross. You will see crosses in Protestant churches to represent what Christ has done for us and to really represent the gospel, the action of what God did to reconcile us to himself. But you won't see Jesus in Protestant churches, or, or you shouldn't. You won't see paintings of Jesus, sculptures of Jesus. You won't see these things in Protestant churches, at least you shouldn't. Because they, there's no image that could really represent him. I think we should even be careful about stained glass windows that we don't put images of God or of Jesus on them because they can never, they can never fully represent him. We don't look at these things and pray to them and sing to them and worship them like there's a, there, like a statue or a cross with Jesus on it and we look to it because when we look to it and when we pray to it and whenever we sing to it, it makes us feel close to Jesus. We don't do that. 
We also must be very careful about our places of worship. Jesus warned the woman at the well about this. He said, well, the woman said, well, you Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem, but we believe that you can worship over here in Samaria. And Jesus was like, listen, there's going to come a time that the place is not going to matter, that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. So we don't see even this building as a, like God doesn't, God doesn't live in a building. He doesn't live in a building. This is not a, this is not a temple. Um, I've, I've heard people pray that before. Like, Lord, thank you. We're going to go to your house where your presence dwells. No, you are the house of God. You are the temple of God. Your body is the temple of God. And when God's people come together, we, we together as his people form a building, a temple of God. Amen? It has nothing to do with the brick and the mortar and the carpet and the pulpit and all that type of thing. Listen, all of this could be swept away and you and I could show up and worship on an empty slab underneath the sky and God is just as much with us as if this building was no longer here. So that's, that's, how, that's how we, that's one of the ways, one of, that's really the primary way, the direct way that we follow this, uh, this, this second command is we don't set up any kind of image or worship any type of place that represents Jesus or God the Father. Number two, and this one and the next one is really going really to be more by way of application. The second way that we follow the second command is that we don't make ourselves into carved images of the world. Let me explain what I mean by that. There are shaping influences all around us, worldly shaping influences everywhere in our culture. They are streaming through your devices and your televisions. You see them on billboards and in various media. You encounter these shaping worldly influences through books that you read, whenever you get an education, whenever you interact in politics. Everywhere you go, literally everywhere you go, there are worldly shaping influences all around us. And the interesting thing about carving something, if you want to carve something out of wood or chisel it out of stone, it takes time. And it's the same with your life. Over time, if you're not careful, all of these worldly influences around you, you will begin to look like everyone else. You won't look like a Christian in them anymore. You won't look like a, a little Christ, which is what Christian means. You'll begin to look like everybody else in the world around you. And the Bible tells us not to do that. The Bible says, don't be conformed. X out the word conformed. Mark it through in your Bible. We are not to be conformed to this world. All the shaping influences. We're not to let, us, let the world whittle us into its mold to where we just look like and act like and think like and live like everyone else. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be conformed to them. 
we're supposed to be transformed. The Bible says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look what the, by the way, look at, look at what the word, uh, the word conform means. I have a definition uh, for you on that. It means to be assimilated is what it means. It means to become behaviorally, socially, or morally similar to. To be shaped and molded into a certain pattern. The Bible says don't do that. The Bible says that God has something different for us, that he wants us to be transformed. That he wants us to be changed, in essence, that he wants us to be different. This is one of the tragedies that we see in American Christianity. We look like everybody else. Nobody can tell the difference between us and the people in the world when it comes to marriage or relationships or the way we treat our wives, the way we treat our husbands, when it comes to materialisms and the, and, and the things that we want to buy and how we approach work and how we do our jobs, how we engage in politics while we get an education. See, we, we, ought to, we ought to do all these things different. We ought to raise our kids differently. Our marriages should look different. How we work and who we are, our character, everything about us, we should be different. We should look different so that the beauty of Christ could be seen in us. And listen, this is the third way that we follow this command by way of application we reflect the image of God by living a lifestyle of true worship. That's what it means to be transformed. We become different. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It says that we behold the glory of the Lord and we're transformed into the same image. Into the image of what? Into the image of God. Into the image of Christ. You see, Christ lived Perfect. He perfectly lived in the way that reflected the nature and the image of God. He perfectly did it for 33 years while he was here. And now you and I, likewise, are to be restored to God's original design that he had for us. We are to bear the image of God. We don't craft some type of false image of God and worship it. We don't further distort and, and, and destroy the image of God in our own life by being crafted and molded into this, this image of the world. We become different. We become little Christs. Do you want to know what God looks like? Go find a godly Christian. Someone whose life looks like Jesus. That's what God looks like. Find someone who has been, whose, their life has been whittled and carved by the Spirit of God. That's what, that's what God looks like. Find someone who, in which God reigns supreme. See, God says that He has placed His glory in jars of clay. That He's put them in earthen vessels. He's, he's placed it in you. You see, we're to bear the image of God upon the earth. Look what the Bible says, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This is why we were created. We were created to bear the image of God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You are to present and represent God and his image to the world. You see, when we engage in idolatry, when something else is more supreme in our life other than God, 
And when our affections and our love for God is overshadowed by the things of this world, that's idolatry that distorts who God wants you to be and how He wants others to see you. And the Bible says that there's a curse that is associated with idolatry. Now, this, this is not a pleasant verse. This is part of that commentary that I told you that kind of flows out of the second commandment. And this verse shocks people. But the Bible says that God is, God is a jealous God. There's, there's, there's a curse of idolatry in Exodus 20, verse 5. He says, I'm, I'm the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. He says, I'm visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now that's, that's a pretty strong statement. And this is more than just a warning to God's people. God's people, at this, when God is speaking this, He's thundering it from Mount Sinai as His people had just come out of Egypt, which was filled with idols. They were heading into Canaan, which was filled with idols. They lived in a world full of idolatry. And God said, you have to look different. You have to be different. You have to worship me only. And your life has to show it. It has to be real. People have to look at you and say, you're, you're not the same. And God says, if you can't do that, if you refuse to do that, something bad is going to happen. There's going to be a generational curse that is going to happen. And this is not just a warning. This is prophetic this is not the only time that God said it. God said it over and over and over and over again to his people. And he said, I just ask one thing. I reign supreme. You love me only. You love me first. You worship me only. Have no other gods before me. Stay away from idols. God said, I present before you life and death. Life, if you, if you just put me first. Death, if you start worshiping idols. And do you know that they just, they, could, they, they just couldn't do it? Here's some dates for you. I've given you some of these dates before. 1446 B.C. is whenever God spoke the Ten Commandments. He delivered His people from Egypt and He spoke the Ten Commandments. But God did something else in 722 B.C. He destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. He had them carried off by the Assyrians. And God did something else in 586 B.C. to Jerusalem. He sent the Babylonians to destroy the temple and to carry off the remaining two tribes of Israel. You said, wait a minute, did, did God do that? I thought the Assyrians did that. I thought the Babylonians did that. No, the Bible is clear. God did that. And why did he do that, you may ask? 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 17 tells us why it occurred. It occurred because the people of Israel sinned. And how did they sin? They feared other gods. And look at that. They walked in the customs of the nations around them. They began to look like the culture. They began to look like the world. They began to fashion themselves. Into, in, into idolatrous people. 
They served idols. And God warned them, but you know what? They wouldn't listen. Why? Because they're just like you and me. They, they were just like you and I are. They, they, they were stubborn. Look at this phrase. This just jumps out at me. They went after false idols, and they became false. You know, you begin to look like the things that you worship. Show me what you love. Show me what you cherish. And you will begin to fashion yourself into the image of that which you love, that which you cherish, that which you worship. It molds you and fashions you into its image. And if you love the Lord, if you love God, if you worship Him, if He reigns supreme in your life, you are going to be fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ. And you are going to reflect who He is. And there is a blessing that is going to rest upon your life. You see, the Bible tells us we either deal with our idols or God deals with us. Look at the blessing. You say, well, that's harsh. Look at the blessings that God gives in Exodus 20, verse 6. The blessing of steadfast love. Some people say, well, that's harsh for there to be a generational curse that God would place upon someone. You know, you know there's a way of escape? You know there's a way of escape? A way to escape the curse of sin? A way to escape the curse of idolatry? A way to escape the wages that your sin and my sin deserves. There's a way of escape. It was provided through Jesus. And there's a blessing. God says there may be a, there may be a curse on idolatry to the 34th generation, but look at this. The Bible says that he shows steadfast love to thousands. Some translations say thousands of generations to those who love me and those who keep my commandments. You know, an idol, an idol can't love you back. You can easily love anything that you make an idol out of. And you can look to that thing as a mediator between you and a life and a blessing or a circumstance that you really want. You can love that image and you can love that that you desire and hope that it mediates something for you. But you know what? An idol will never love you back. The Bible says that God loves you. God will love you back. I'm not saying that you earn God's love through worshiping Him only, but guess what? You will feel and experience God's love and God's presence when you worship Him only and whenever you deal with the idols that are in your life. See, that's how it works. That, this, is, this is basic Christianity. It's an exchange of love between you and God. That's what worship is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. It's a relationship. You say, God, I love you. You say, Lord, I, I'm going to leave my nets on the shore and follow you. I'm going to leave the tax collector's booth, just like Matthew did. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to be like the rich young ruler where Jesus said, give everything up, everything you have and follow me and go away sad. No, God, I'll... 
My affections are going to be for you exclusively. I'm going to love you above everything else. I will sacrifice and give up everything for you to worship you and to follow you because, God, I love you. You know what God says? God says, I love you back. And I'm going to give you my presence. And I'm going to show you that love. I'm going to allow you to experience that love. You're going to feel my mercy. You're going to feel my grace. And guess what? It doesn't matter how idolatrous you are. Do you realize how many idols have come through that door today? Do you realize how many idols have been, have, have been carried into the hearts, by the hearts of people? As all of us, myself included, as we have walked through that doors today, all those idols that we've carried with us, all those things. And God says, you know what? You sacrifice that because it's never going to love you back. It's never going to mediate the happiness that you want. I sent Jesus to do that for you. He was the perfect image. He's going to mediate. And God says, you know what? You get rid of those idols. You give up those things. You sacrifice those things. And God says, I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to love you back. And you're going to feel, an, and basically what, basically what this Bible, what the Bible says right here, what this, this scripture says, is that there is an infinite amount of God's love that is poured out whenever we love Him first and keep His commandments. Is that where you are today? Or are there all these shaping influences in the world that are just nipping at you, coming at you, coming after you? They're coming after all of us. Listen, this is not peacetime. We're in a war. We're in a war. There is a real spiritual battle that is taking place, and Satan wants your heart. He's fine for you to follow your religious routine as long as your heart belongs to another. God says, worship me only. Is that where your heart is today? Do you worship him? Do you love him? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Somebody please say amen. I mean, we love the Lord. That's why, hopefully that's why we're here. If you don't love the Lord today, I want to give you an opportunity today to love the Lord for the very first time. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes in just one moment. And I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer expressing your love and adoration and worship to God for what he has done for you. And I'm going to ask you to put away some of these idols in your life. We all have them. We all have these idols. We all have them coming after us, these worldly shaping influences. Would you give them over to the Lord today? If you don't know Jesus as Savior, your first act of worship is to surrender your heart to him and to call upon Jesus to save you. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And if you need to do that today, Please call on Jesus and be saved. And for the rest of us, maybe there's something that's been competing for, the, for your affection. Something that maybe you've been giving your affection and your heart and your love and your energy and your zeal and your passion and your life to something other than God. Would you sacrifice it today? Would you lay it on the altar to God today? In fact, if you wanted to come to the altar today and symbolically through prayer, just lay that on the altar before God, you could do that. 
Anytime you want to do that, you could just pop up uh, right now while I'm praying or in a moment when we pray silently to, your, to ourselves or when we're singing. If you want to come and just lay that altar down, uh, lay, that, lay that idol down at the altar, you can do that. I'm going to give you a few moments to pray. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, ask Him to save you. If you want to lay an idol down before God, either where you're seated or at this altar, I want you to feel a freedom to do that right now.